Welcome to episode 144 of Out Off Topic. What's up, Brad? Not much, Andrew. What's going on with you today? Not much. Uh, my dad, Tony, is here to join us. Hi, Hi Tony. guys. Uh, there Hi, you everybody. Go. What's going on? Uh, if you want to hear my dad's car history, we went over it on way back in episode 34. 110 episodes ago. That's yeah. crazy to think about. Air Supply, which actually, there's a lot of downloads in that one, so people really like that one. Because he calls it Air Supply. People probably thought it was songs. <laughs> <laughs> so we have my dad here today. He's going to help us talk about carburetors. Yes. We're going to talk about the magic device under the hood of most of my cars. Yeah. That makes them run. Or more accurately, not run most of the time. I've never owned a car that had a carburetor. Never? No. Even the first Volvo was fuel-injected? Everything I've owned has been fuel-injected. Hmm. But we'll have, to correct, we'll have to correct that at some point. Maybe. Need to get you into the magic world of simple mechanics. Which is interesting. So they're kind of like, uh, it's like shooting like film versus like digital. So like film would be a carburetor, right? Okay. Digital would be like fuel-injection. Okay. I got you. Uh, I don't think it's the same principle exactly because both of them yield like slightly different results. Like film gives like a more natural feel to things. I guess. But what I mean, it's like analog. Yeah. Maybe more like records versus MP3s. Okay. Yeah. There you go. That's a better, that's a better analogy. You know, like there's mechanical fuel injection, but we're not going to cover that. No. No, It's just. In another uh, session. That's like a whole thing. I'll have Jordan over for that one. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, because basically, like, carburetors no, don't need to are that. mechanically controlled versus fuel injection being digitally controlled. So right. that's where I came up with that. And mechanical fuel injection is mechanically controlled fuel injection, just to confuse the confused dear listener. And then, basically, the way when I was re- researching this and describing them, carburetors are, like, simple in the principle, but can be complicated in the way they do it. And maybe that's what throws people off with carburetors? So I think that the air, fuel, spark, bang, go. Like, it's very simple to think about. The carburetor takes in air and it takes in fuel and it mixes it. The problem becomes when you need to adjust that for different amounts of air and fuel. Because every car has a different need for different air and different fuel, depending on where you are. As far as elevation goes and atmosphere goes and all that stuff relates to how the car runs with the carburetor. So that's where it gets difficult. Yeah. You can make almost anything run easily. Making it run good is the issue. Actually, you know what you know what has a carburetor that I own? My snowblower. And probably a lawnmower. Yeah, and my lawnmower. Yeah. But which is interesting because for nearly a hundred years, like carburetors were the default system mm-hmm. for fuel delivery on a car. And the fact that I've never owned any with carburetors. Well the oldest car you ever owned was probably your Volvo. 86, yeah. 86, and that was fuel injected. Mm-hmm. When did Volvo switch, do you know? Probably earlier than most. I think... Late 70s. I think it was probably on the... Between the 140 something and the 240. Did they make two carbureted 240s? I don't think they did. I think they had early versions of the Bosch mechanical. Okay. Which that's one of the... We could do a whole thing on that. Mm-hmm. One of the earliest uh, fuel injection systems. Well, the Rochester was earlier, back in the 50s. Yeah. But GM did that. Yeah, Bendix had one in the, in the late 50s, too, they were working on. But the uh, the electronics weren't there. You know, they didn't have right. the electronics back then like we do today. Yeah. So that was... Uh, then you get but, the whole thing. But, yeah, you're right. I forgot about the uh, mechanical Rochester, like the, the Chevys had. 57? Yeah. 57, 283. 
which uh, actually made that engine produce 283 horsepower, one one horsepower per cubic inch. Yeah, it was the first one to do that, right? Yes, and then the uh, vets, and they had them on some full-size cars, too. Yeah, I know you can get, like, a 57 Chevy, like the traditional, right. you know, big tail fin 57 Chevy right. with a fuel-injected 283. <clears throat> but hmm. they had they had a lot of, they had some issues, too, and a lot of guys got frustrated with them. They, they had them taken off. and Yeah, they're they, super they, rare now. They, yeah, they put yeah. a regular carburetor back on. Because they were so unknown at the time. Yeah, but if you, if you had, I saw one at a car show about a year ago. It was really nice to see that. You know, up and running. Yeah, there's. The, I think the carburetor. Sorry, the that fuel injection like system. If you find one, is like worth more than most cars, <laughs> just huh. for the fuel injection setup. Yeah. Also, in the '60s, a lot of guys were experimenting with like the Hillborn injection, right? Which is another kind of fuel injection, an early kind of fuel injection. Yeah. But again, this is about carburetors, not fuel yeah, injection. Yeah, yeah. We can talk about all those systems later on. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, so we'll skip the part about how an internal combustion engine works, but it's just kind of assume that everybody knows how they work. Suck, squish, well, bang, blow. Well, yeah. yeah, we have to we have to go one couple sentences here. Well, you know, the four cycle engine is intake, uh, power stroke, exhaust, and uh, intake again. That's not the four, but anyway, the uh, intake stroke when the piston's going down, it's drawing air into the engine, and basically the air is coming through the carburetor. And the carburetor is mixing the, the gasoline with the air, which you know, I'll talk about a little bit more in a minute. Yeah, because it's basically an engine is an air pump. Oh, I forgot compression. Compression. Yeah. Compression. yeah. <laughs> Come on. Put well, you on the spot. Right. Well, yeah, that's the... Um, <laughs> suck, squeeze, bang, blow. I was going to say, suck, yeah. squish, bang, suck, yeah. squish, bang, blow. That was the... Uh, yeah. The technical articles, too, they called in Sport Compact Car. Yep. I always had that title yeah. to them, which is how I always remembered it because of that. Yeah, so carburetors work by using the vacuum effect that an engine creates to actually pull atomized fuel into the combustion chamber, and atomized is the key part here. Right, because you can't just put liquid fuel, yeah. like a like a pouring of fuel in there, because yeah. it'll actually ex- extinguish the spark you're trying to create. Yeah, actually, liquid gasoline will not burn. It, it has to be a vapor, or, or close to a vapor as possible, and that's what the carburetor is, is meant to do. And uh, it's actually, as the piston's coming down, the intake stroke, it's creating a vacuum in the, in the intake and through the carburetor. And then you've got atmospheric pressure at 14, uh, 14.7 yeah. at, at sea level, and that's pushing the gasoline out of the float of the, of the float chamber, out of the carburetor, through jets, and then into the um, throat of the carburetor and down the intake manifold. Which, you know, so basically you've got the gas tank storing the fuel, or the gas, and you've got some sort of a pump. Unless you have an old Model A, which had the gas tank in the above the engine. Gravity in, fed. In the cow, yeah. it was gravity fed, right? <laughs> and then you had, um, that pushes the fuel, or gas. I keep saying fuel. <laughs> it's, it, it, we'll, we'll, we'll say it's interchangeable, so whatever yeah. you say is fine. Yeah. And that pushes. We're well, not even talking about diesel now. Right. And that pushes it to the carburetor, and then at the at the in, inlet of the carburetor, you have, well, you have a, a float inside of a chamber. It's just like your float in your toilet <laughs> when you flush the tells toilet. What, tells the carbon there's enough fuel in there. The tells water, the carbon there's yeah, enough fuel in there. The water goes down. It opens up a valve. The, va- the water fills up the tank again, and the float rises and shuts off the water. Yep. So the, the float in the, in the carburetor is doing the same thing. It's maintaining a specific level. 
in the float bowl, and uh, it, the the specific name for the the valve is, is called needle and seat, mm-hmm. and the level of the floats have to be specific because if they're too low or too high, it'll affect the mixture, the ratio. It'll starve or right flood. And let's talk about ratio for one second. When um, we talk about it's it's called. I always get this word sto- sto- <laughs> stoichiometric. Yeah. Stoichiometric yeah. is the ideal mixture that the fuel will burn at and run the most efficiently, and that ratio is fourteen point one to one, and that's uh, fourteen parts air to one part one gasoline. Part so if you go less air, let's say ten point one or ten to one. That's a rich mixture. And then if you go on the other side, let's say 12, 15, that's a lean mixture. So we're going we're gonna to talk about lean and rich. You're going to hear that a lot. Yep. And that's what the float bowl prevents, or part of what the float bowl prevents. It has enough fuel in the carburetor that the, the jet can atomize enough. Well, there are certain conditions when your mixture will go lean or rich, you, there are certain conditions when you want the mixture rich, uh, such as when your engine is cold and you first start up. Mm-hmm. You need a richer mixture because all the metal and everything is cold, and the in the vapor of the fuel vapor will condense on the walls of the of the intake manifold, and it doesn't really make it down into the into into the uh, cylinder. So you want to have a rich mixture, and how we do that is we use what they call a choke. And that is a valve on the top of the carburetor. It closes down and restricts the air, and it makes the mixture richer. And uh, it also raises the idle through some linkage. And that's when you want your mixture richer, intentionally. And also when you uh, open the throttle, you're, you're momentarily making the mixture lean because now you've got this big rush of air coming in. So you have what's called an accelerator pump in the carburetor. It's it's hooked to the linkage, mm-hmm. and it gives it an extra squirt of gas. Yeah, it's a little plunger style, usually the bottom right. of the Right, it's a plunger or a diaphragm in some carburetors. And then the other time you want a richer mixture is when you're under full power. You want to have a little bit richer mixture, and that cools down the uh, the combustion and prevents uh, detonation and and, and, or knock as and you knock, yeah. right? So you, there are certain conditions when you want a rich mixture. Um, there really isn't any. I can't think of anything that you'd actually want a lean mixture, except you know, well, trying to save fuel. Trying to save fuel, <laughs> yeah, right? Usually, like cruise is a little bit leaner. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And you, you know, you can't have too lean of a mixture because then you'll start having misfires, and uh, you know, you, you, it's very hard to ignite a lean mixture. Um, in the, well, we're getting a little ahead of here, but in the 70s, when they were still working with carburetors, the uh, we were trying to clean up the engine, the exhaust. And the lean burn. Lean burn. Remember, yeah. Chrysler had that. Mm-hmm. And they had to, um, you know, intentionally uh, make the spark, uh, you know, hotter and, and more intense to lean, you know, fire that off. So, but that's getting into another subject. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. yeah, everybody hates those lean burn carburetors now. They're pretty well known for being garbage and <laughs> they'll usually get replaced with a aftermarket style carburetor yeah the big challenge back then with carburetors was you know the government said you got to clean up the uh exhaust and 
you know, they started by doing things like that and uh, EGR, mm-hmm. exhaust gas recirculation, and that was to cut down on the NOx uh, to bring the combustion temperatures down. But that's another subject. And, you know, they had, um, uh, they had actually put, started putting catalytic converters in the cars in 1975. Yeah, which we, we touched on last episode. Yeah, we had to go to uh, unleaded f- gas because of that. Mm-hmm. But they were still dealing with carburetors. And it was very, very hard to, uh, they, you know, make these carburetors work with that. They, they had what they call feedback carburetors. It was very crude, but, you know, they, they made it work. And then finally they come up with a fuel injection, but we'll talk about that in another. Yep. Basically, the original carburetor in the Raider is probably close to like a feedback carburetor with all those like vacuum lines and stuff. Yeah, probably similar to that. Probably one of the Sapporo probably is the same style. Yeah. I know that people are usually surprised the Sapporo runs as well as it does Mm -hmm. because it has the original early carb on it. Yeah. But I don't know much about the carb. I always know that if it broke, I would just replace it with a Weber (laughs) at this point. Yeah, it's not till much later... It actually took the invention of the O2 sensor to really yeah, push carbs to the side. But uh, Actually, though, with an O2 sensor, you can, which is funny, because with the invention of the O2 sensor, you can easy, easily, more easily, more easily uh, tune a carburetor. Yeah, well, the wideband one, yeah. Yep. Um, otherwise, you the original way um, would be exhaust gas temps. Yep. You'd have a, a pyrometer. Yes, a pyrometer. And you'd measure the exhaust gas temps, usually on the number one cylinder, I think. Mm-hmm. Something like that. You'd, ha- you won't, yeah. you'd want it close to the cylinder head as possible mm-hmm. so you get the most accurate reading. Yeah. Remember, that was an old school way to tune a DSM before wide bands were readily available. Readily available and, and then that's a way, I think diesels, we're getting a little off topic on it, but I think diesels use that a lot, right? To yeah, that's that's to tell, you know, the, the operator, you know, how hot the engine is running and they can scale back on the throttle to so they don't cook things in the engine. Mm-hmm. Um, the other way they would test it is using a, a five, what they call five-gas exhaust analyzer. They'd stick a probe up the tailpipe, and it would tell them all the different gases that are coming out of the tailpipe. And, you know, they'd take their readings, and and they'd know, you know, what's good and what's bad. So they could tune an engine like that, too. And then the other way is you pull the spark plugs out, and you look at those. Yeah, you black know, or... Black is sooty. That's running rich. Um, the, uh, like, grayish scale would be too lean. There's a certain, uh, like, a brownish color, then that's, that's you know, you, you know you're right on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I read about a thing that was, like, a clear glass tube mm-hmm. that you could put in the yeah. combustion chamber with the spark plug in it, and you could actually see the burn. The flame. The flame. Right. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Um, but... What you described with the um, the way carburetors were with the floats is kind of the way they were from the, like, they kind of became that way early on. Early on, and then that's basically the way they've always been. Yeah, right. Now. Basically, they're all the same. Mm-hmm. There's different manufacturers, different styles, but they're all working the same principle. Well, in the beginning, they had what they call updraft, where the the inlet of the carburetor was at the bottom, so it hung from the manifold. And if you look at an older car, an antique car, like a 30s car, they, the air would come up through the carburetor and then into the manifold. And there was reasons for that, too. They Sometimes they were having problems with the uh, gas coming out of the carburetor and flooding the engine out. And then they figured that out. And then they went to the downdraft carburetor, which is the most common, which is what you see 
you know, today. And then they have side draft carburetors, like your motorcycles. Or no, it's your, always a more performance-oriented application, usually. Yeah, like a British sports car. Sports car. Sports car, what's, you know, Webbers, I guess. It's like a, that makes it like a straight shot into the, yeah. almost, into the right combustion right. chamber. Yeah. When you hear people talking about induction noise and stuff like that in old carbureted cars, usually they're talking about side draft cars. Yeah. Yeah. Because they make cool trumpets for them and stuff. And then you have, uh, you can have a single barrel carburetor, which is just one you know, throat going down, it's a uh, smaller engine. Then you come up to a two-barrel, and uh, that on a V8, you know, one barrel will feed four of the cylinders, and the other barrel will feed the other four cylinders. Mm-hmm. And it's it's all done by the way the manifold's uh, cast and in, in the in the you know routed the where the the way the air and the fuel flows through the manifold. Yeah. So you. And then they have four-barrel. Oh, I've actually seen a three-barrel carburetor. I remember three-barrel carburetors. They had the two primaries and one huge secondary uh, barrel. It was very rare. I can't remember the car it was on, though. I think it was a Chrysler, too, actually. It was yeah. a Chrysler? Yeah, I, I think can't it remember. Was. Those weird things. And then, because the four barrels, you know, you had the two primaries. It would run on the two primaries initially, or most of the time, for fuel economy. And then when you wanted more power, you put your foot in it. And then the the other two second the secondary uh, throttles would open up. And you'd get more, uh, you know, uh, gas and air through those. And then you could have triples. What they, you know, you could have three. Three singles? Three, th- three, well, you could have three singles. Or oh, three twos, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you could have three twos. They call them a six-pack in the Chryslers. Mm-hmm. The three singles were on, like, a early, they had setups for those for, like, the flathead Fords. Um, the guys that were hot and raw in those, yep. and I think the early, like, Oldsmobile rocket engines had some of that. Probably like Stromberg's, I feel like that's... Stromberg was the, was the company that made the three singles, yeah. 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 One of the companies, probably others, too. That's the, yeah. that's the famous that's one. That's, like, the well-known one. And it would run basically on the center one. That would be your primary. And then when you step on the throttle more, the, the other ones would open up, you know, progressively. And sometimes the, the secondary on the four barrels would open up either mechanically through linkage... Or they would open it by uh, vacuum actuated, and it would you know depend on the demand of the uh, on the load of the engine, and it would open the throttle up and uh, let the more f- gas in the fuel. So. It looks like Holly actually made an aftermarket three-barrel carb for a while. Hmm. Okay, and then Carter made one. It was a thermal quad, and the the actual body of the carburetor was made out of some sort of plastic like a phenolic plastic yeah. that was a Chrysler part too actually that was <laughs> yeah. that was to uh, keep the heat down so the gas wouldn't boil yeah, those away are, those, those are very hated in the in no, the they, aftermarket or the hot rod community they don't like those carbs at all yeah <laughs> you know and then the 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 hot rodders they, they love the Holly carburetors because you can take those apart and regen them and tune them and very easily yes. they're they're meant to do that you know so those can change the, holly, the jets the holly three barrel carb is a 950 cfm carb whoa so that's like for like serious big block race motors yeah that, <laughs> that secondary thing was huge yeah yeah that was a holly huh you see yep yeah. there's a lot of guys put them on uh big block chevys yeah. and big block mobars hmm. so it's uh, a little murky but when i researched like the first carburetors uh it looks like from what I found, and I'm going to murder these names because they're Hungarian. They're two <laughs> Hungarian engineers and inventors. It was like Donat Bianchi and Janos Sosnoka. Sonka. Probably Sonka. Sonka. C-S-O-N-K. They invented the atomizing carburetor as we know it today. So with like 
floats. Uh, but then there's also reports that a float type spray carburetor was patented a year later by Wilhelm Maybach of uh, Maybach fame. Yep. And but before those, like the float type that we just talked about, that was kind of revolutionary for the carburetor. But I mean, it was revolutionary in 1893. And it, yeah, so it, it wasn't it, like it happened. But in it the made 50s. it made the carburetor like a viable device mm-hmm. because early vehicles were using. Uh, of like a, a a brush type or wick carburetors. Okay. So they literally like it was a spinning brush, like a horsehair brush that would whip some fuel that's into a, the intake tract. That's amazing. To, to like atomize it, and obviously it's not very efficient. Or you had the wick, which basically worked on evaporation. So it was like a candle wick soaked in gas, and then the gas vapor would evaporate from the carb and the vacuum of the engine pulling the air over it. That sounds even worse. Yeah, so think of, like they're so inefficient. So then when I, I like the idea of watching like this broom just sweeping gas into an engine though, yeah, pretty good. It reminds me actually of the way early engines up until the early fifties were fed oil. Yeah, like they literally just have a spoon on the crankshaft that goes into the oil pan and flings oil onto the engine parts above it in hopes that they get covered in oil. Yeah, yeah, the connecting rods they would dip into the oil and and lubricate the. Yeah, they literally like, like literally like a spoon, just flinging. Like picture like a kid like trying to eat his peas and like flicking them at you. That's what the engines yeah. did inside. Yeah. <laughs> but um, <laughs> then of course, so we've described the way the float carburetor works. But to try to like make it as simple as possible to understand the way a carb works is to picture it like an hourglass shape, mm-hmm. where the hourglass part pinches down is called the venturi. Okay. And this works on Bernoulli's principle. And this is what sta- it's as a fluid speed increases, it decreases, its pressure decreases. And remember, air is also a fluid. Right. There's fluid dynamics in air. Uh, this is also how planes fly. Right. Yeah, exactly. Air flows over the wing slower over the top, the but bottom. faster under the bottom. Yep. Because it has to go further. So it's slower over the top. So you create low pressure on the top, a high pressure on the bottom. So it creates lift. It creates lift. Um, not sure how helicopters work, but probably the same way. No, yes. the, ro- the road is a shape like that, <laughs> yeah, too. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it was a sarcastic joke. <laughs> um, and serious, Tony. Yeah. Serious. So <laughs> where the Venturi cinches down, it creates like low pressure. You can literally watch that in an hourglass. Because yeah. you can watch the sand goes slowly into the pinched area. Yeah. And once it comes at the bottom, it goes in like a triangle spray pattern almost doesn't just dribble straight down so like my dad said with the suction of that and then the atmospheric pressure outside it helps push fuel right. into the carb from the bowl right and then of course after that that goes to the jet your jet is what regulates how much goes in also usually has the atomizer on it does it not well there were different jets does it control uh, the spray pattern there's, there's different circuits in the carburetor you know the idle circuit um and then after a certain point then you open the throttle, then another jet will take over and let the, you know, meter the, the gas. And, um, uh, you know, and then they have the, what they, what we talked about before, the power valve would let even more gas in. Right, but high when we're talking about the atomization, yeah. does it happen oh. at the jet? Uh, yes. Okay, that's yeah. what I thought. Yeah, yeah. It's basically squeezing the gas through this little tiny orifice, and it's spraying out. You know, take take you know, like like a squirt bottle. You know, you got liquid in the bottle, 
mm-hmm. and you're pulling the trigger, and it's coming out the little nozzle at the end, and it's coming out as, Springs as, in a, a, pattern. as, as a mist. Yeah, like a paint can do the same way. Or a paint can, or think of a, you can think of a carburetor too, like a spray gun. You know, when you're painting a car, the old, the old school uh, paint can uh, guns with the the, the uh, bottle at the bottom. Mm-hmm. And you pull the trigger, you got air going into it, and it's got a Venturi effect. It's pulling the paint out of the can and out, and it's forcing it through the jet. Right. And then it's, you know. Oh, I never even thought of that. Yeah. 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 That's the old style, and the new ones have the paint on top. Right, right. That's why I said the old style. Well, I've got an airbrush. I use the model cars that's got a bottom feed. Yeah. Yeah, That's the same thing, too. Yeah, because the new ones are gravity feeds. Yes. And then think of... uh, Another thing, you, analogy you can think of is if you have a drink with a straw, and you 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 know you pull a suction on the straw with your mouth, and then the air pressure around it is pushing on the fluid, and that's what actually is pushing the fluid up the straw. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of the same as like a carburetor's work. Yeah, or like putting your thumb over the hose to make it spray in a different pattern, or like just yeah. it's just kind of dribbling out of the hose, and then you put your thumb over it because you don't have the nozzle. Right. You can get a, a, a fake nozzle out of it. Yep. So your thumb becomes the jet. Yeah. yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so the different jets have different size holes in them, basically. Yeah. To create different air-fuel mixtures and different atomization patterns. And that's how you would tune a carburetor. You know, yeah. like like I mentioned before, the the Holley carburetors, you have a kit with a, all these different size jets, and you, you know, open it up, take a jet out, and you say, oh, I want to go larger or smaller. Yeah, it's running too and lean you, or it's running too rich. Yeah, and you, you could change the jets, you know, very easily and then have a, you know, change your mixture. But then you'd, like, set, you'd set idle through, like, screws. You wouldn't really change the jets for that. Correct, yeah. You have screw adjustments for those. And then, you know, uh this, we have different ways of monitoring the engine to tell us, you know, when we're at the best um, optimum mixture. You can kind of do it by sound, or yeah, you know, us old school guys, we did it by sound of the the uh, engine. You know, it would you could tell, you know, you you'd hit, turn it one way, and then all of a sudden it would the idle would start going down, then you'd back up, and you know, you get the the best idle. Uh, you can use a vacuum gauge. Uh, and like I said, you can use one of those uh, gas analyzers, which we didn't, you know, we never had. But yeah, you know. I know guys that that deal with this stuff all the time can definitely just turn it and fiddle with it and hear it, and next thing you know, you're driving down the street just fine. Have yeah. you ever done multiple carbs? Me? Yeah. Um, not really. Um, there is a way to do that. They have a, a balancer. Um, yeah, a meter you put on the inlet of the carburetor, and it tells it how much. It tells you how much it's drawing in. Actually, didn't you use one of those when we were building Joey's motorcycle? Wasn't um, there a carb synchronizer? Yeah, possibly. Yeah, yeah. I think you did. Yeah, I remember seeing a picture of it hanging because you had to hang it above the carburetor, and it goes into the mm-hmm. into the uh, the throat of each carburetor. Yeah, that's a good example. Uh, motorcycles are a good example because they have uh, they had multiple carburetors too. Right. Um, but uh, the problem with a carburetor, though, is it's it's actually... Nothing. There's no problem with carburetors. <laughs> no. I don't know what you're talking well, about. Well... Carb life. <laughs> um, they're actually, uh, you know, it's it's kind of a compromise because you can you can tune that carburetor perfectly for a, a specific day, certain... I, right. won't, I know we're not supposed to talk about weather here. We're not yeah. supposed to... Mention, so we'll talk about... <laughs> we atmos- talked about it last episode, at- too. It's fine. Atmospheric conditions, okay? 
So you get a nice cool day, dry day, and you tune your carburetor up and you get that running perfect. The next day it's raining out and then all of a sudden your engine's not running right again. Right. And, you know, you're going to have a rich mixture mm-hmm. because you have less oxygen in the air now. The moisture in the air is displacing the oxygen, so it's making the mixture richer, believe it or not. So right. it's, it's you know, going to throw the tune off a little bit. So it's always a compromise or going up. Uh, Say cl- climbing a hill. Climb, yeah, going yeah. up Mount Washington or something like that, you know. You're going to have it running perfect at the base, and then you start climbing By up. By the top, you're out of power. Yeah, the thing is going to be starving. And people talk about that, too, when they do like the race up Mount Washington, the race up Bikes Peak. That you know, in the older carbureted cars, you know they they start out in the bottom, and the car is running great and super powerful. And by the time they get to the top, they're like the car is chugging along, and it's down so, half its horsepower. And all right, here's a good question. So in the old days, when everything was carbed, was there did they do different stuff for like a car sold in Colorado or something? Like I'm sure it would have been tuned by the dealership when they sold tune it, it differently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It had to because if you sold a car at Sea level in a car eight thousand feet. That car's not going to run very good at eight thousand feet. Oh, that's so, so crazy. Yeah, and then would have had to have been done. I mean, I know the other thing. Like, if you've got an old carb vehicle and you're going off road and you start going like that, depends on the style of carburetor in the car too. Yeah, like a, some like a Holly style carburetor with the fl- big float bowl in the bottom of it. If you get a real angle on the car on the truck, yeah, you starve it for fuel. Huh. So interesting. Right. Some of the other carbs, like the side draft style and the like uh, aftermarket Weber side draft style, they don't have as much fuel in the carburetor. Doesn't store as much fuel in the carburetor, so it's less affected by pitch and angle. Well, so, think of this scenario too: is it's auto off topic, yeah. An airplane, okay, right. and you get uh, one of these aerobatic, acrobatic, or whatever you call yeah. it, yeah. airplanes, right? And the guy flips it over and he's flying. Yeah. Well, they had special carburetors too because they had to work you know inverted they, yeah it probably had to keep a certain amount of fuel in it at all times so that's whether right. it was upside down or upright it kept right. cut fuel that's in interesting the like, yeah like a th- like a world war ii dog fighting plane like right. how do you keep the fuel in that thing or do they use mechanical fuel well injection? some of them had fuel injection and those you know by then too so. interesting well that was probably the earliest yeah yeah kind of pioneering it again just another reason why i won't fly an antique airplane you're going to go upside down? No, I just won't fly an antique airplane because it's too rudimentary technology. Well, Old cars break down. When they break down, you roll to the side <laughs> of the road. Well, when you're flying an airplane with a carburetor, you, you have to manually. God, I can't even. like. I'm the biggest carburetor supporter, and I can't even consider getting yeah. in a carbureted airplane. <laughs> oh, yeah. can you? Do you have to adjust the mixture you, as you go you, up? You, yeah, yes, sure. you do. Yeah. You watch your manifold pressure. It's it's, it's actually not vacuum. It's man, We call it manifold pressure. And you adjust it, and and so on, and yeah, you have a, a, a lever in the in the cockpit, and you're adjusting the, the mixture, and you know you're doing all kinds of stuff. Horrifying. Most people have a hard enough time if you give them a manual choke, let alone yeah. So yeah. adjusting. The okay, mixture. so when did like the electric choke like start to come out? Was it? Oh, that's a good question. I, I probably fifties. I saw that somewhere. Probably on luxury cars, right? No, on a lot of cars in the fifties. Because I'm I'm trying to think of. Like well, a 57 Chevy doesn't have a choke lever. Well, my 65 does not have it. Um, right. I think it was more toward the 70s because that was another uh, thing. more common by the 70s. Because, but. you know, they didn't want the things running um, choked up too long because of the rich mixture and polluting the air. So I think it was around the 80s when they started coming out with electric chokes. 
Well, you had, uh, I remember there's a pull choke in your first gen RX-7. Yeah, my 84 RX-7 had a pull choke. Yeah. So wild. I mean, the, it's like you end up with uh, just all these weird little things that you used to have to do to make cars run. Yeah. Like a lot of cars, when they got older, their automatic chokes would malfunction. Yeah. Because they'd get sticky or they wouldn't be used as much. And then you'd have to manually open the choke to start the car. Yeah. Or manually close the choke to start the car, excuse me. Well, here's, here's something that uh, it says the 1932 Oldsmobile was the first one with an automatic choke. All right. But that had the little thermostat in there. And then uh, I'm trying to look and see if... Oh, here it is. Let's see. So basically what... The other thing about carburetors, oh. too... What were you going to say about the they, choke? They, they also used uh, coolant running through the uh, little choke uh, thermostat housing. So the mm-hmm. coolant, as it warmed up, it would help heat up the little thermostat and open the choke up, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. A little feedback loop there. And then, so basically, oh, the other thing, too, to point out, we call the gas pedal a gas pedal or throttle pedal, right? Mm-hmm. Right. It's really an air pedal, right? It Right. It opens the valve to let more air in. Yeah. And by letting more air in, it... Sucks in more fuel. Yeah. So that's like a, a neat little uh, pedantic thing you can go. That's not your gas pedal. That's a air pedal. Like yeah, don't start doing that. <laughs> ter- Hit the air pedal. It sounds terrible. It does sound terrible. Well, actually, on a, on a fuel-injected engine, we, again, we're getting a little... Your, your uh, gas pedal is actually a, uh, a request. You know, you push the pedal down, and you're requesting more power... You're telling the computer you want more power, and then the computer's looking at all these different sensors and parameters and saying, "All right, I'll I'll, let, I'll give him more power if you know." So it's it's not a direct connection, um, you know, to the uh, well, the fly-by-wire ones. Right. right now. Yeah. yeah. yeah I'm not fly-by-wire. Drive-by-wire. 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 So yeah, the automatic choke popularized in the fifties, hmm. just to make yeah. driving more convenient for everybody at the time. Right. Yeah. So that was with that spring that would, as the as the heat changed in like the engine a, bay. Yeah, like a thermostatic spring. Yeah, biometric, I think is the word. Yeah, yeah. Bimetal. Bimetallic. Bimetallic. Yeah. yeah. It it picked up heat from the uh, exhaust. They actually, let's say, um, you have a V8 engine, so you got an exhaust manifold on each side of the engine, and they actually had a uh, a passageway that mm-hmm. was was crossing over the intake manifold under the carburetor, which had its own usually little valve on it too. Yeah, it was a heat riser. Yep. And if the heat riser stuck, oh. it would overheat uh, that area and then cause your carburetor to boil mm-hmm. and vapor lock. And vapor lock was another, uh, you know, issue with uh, old carburetor cars, especially on a hot day. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So would that happen like? In traffic, like stop and go traffic when it's oh, hot. Oh yeah. Oh for sure. Oh, yeah. So if you look under the hood of any of my cars, my carbureted cars, yeah, that have the stock carburetor and stock air cleaner on them, yeah, there's usually a little piece of like small, almost like small dryer hose. Yeah. Oh, that's what that the is. Exhaust manifold. That's literally oh. at the top of that is another valve with a bimetallic spring that opens and clo- it opens as the car warms up. Yeah, that was to like let a- more air. Yeah, I knew that was like yeah. a heat riser. I thought that was like part of the it, EGR. It's a, it's a heat riser. It, it heat rises into the intake in order to change the automatic choke. So like my <clears throat> 84 RX-7 wouldn't have had that because I had the manual choke. But my 78 Colt has one of those. Oh, yeah, right. and the hot air was going to help vaporize the fuel when, when the engine was cold. And actually, my Camaro, which is a 68, which has a quadrajet carburetor, 
which is a Rochester. Rochester. Rochester yeah. Yep. Which is a kind of a four barrel. No, it's a four barrel. No, it's it's a special kind of four barrel. It's got two barrels that run all the time, and then it has a secondary well, two barrels in the back when you open it wide. Right. Just the way it works. It's called a quarter jet. But um, when I first got that car, yeah, it must have had a problem with the valve in the air cleaner because it was wired open. Oh. Uh, sorry, wired closed. Excuse me. With like mechanics wire, so that it wouldn't open and allow that heat in there and allow it to wind up, like he said, um, vapor locking. Huh. So obviously, at some point before I owned the car, it had a problem, and instead of replacing the part, they just wired it closed so it wouldn't get heat in it because the car wasn't driven in winter anyway. Yeah. So when you hear well, someone say vapor lock, it's literally vaporizing the fuel in the bowl. It's boiling it. Well, yes, and the lines and yeah. the fuel lines. It's boiling the fuel. It's it's boiling the fuel in the in the line from the gas tank because it's it's the fuel pump is is lowering the pressure of that gasoline a little bit and it's lowering that boiling point so imagine it's running down the frame rail near the hot exhaust and that stuff starts boiling and vaporizing and now all of a sudden the pump doesn't have anything to pump and then the engine dies so you have to pull off the side of the road let it cool down or get some cold water you know, the old trick was get cold water and soak, mm-hmm. you know, soak some towels or something and, you know, stick the towels in strategic I places. remember learning about this in the late 80s because yeah. my father used to be heavily involved. Well, he still is in the North Shore Car Club and he used to have a poker run where it was like a road rally. You'd go from spot to spot getting yeah. poker, poker cards and you'd make a poker hand. Yeah, we did it back in the 90s. I remember. Yeah. And one of the participants one year, a guy named Glenn, had a 62, 62 Thunderbird. Right. And he, kept, he, was, he was experiencing vapor lock all day. Because yeah. he couldn't keep the fuel at a temperature because the, it was a slower drive. It was in traffic. The car would stop and idle a lot, and the car would just die and then wait for it to cool off before you started it again. And it happened all day long. Wow. That sounds That's how infuriating. I yes. <laughs> well, again, there's a, probably a simple fix for it. Could be that valve in the air in, in the air intake or could be something wrong with the choke. Yeah. Could be it's heat soaking for some reason. It's not a hard fix usually. But it's annoying when it happens. So all these problems went away with fuel injection, and then new problems came up. Uh, yeah, actually, we were told by a, a friend of ours, a listener, actually, uh, Chris. He works on Audis, and he went from working on Audis out here to working on Audis in Phoenix. Mm-hmm. And they actually have a vapor lock problem with fuel injected direct injection Audis out there. He was telling us they had to add extra lines mm. to right. allow the fuel to cool because oh. these cars are sitting in traffic on the hot pavement. Yeah, you know, it's 120 degrees. Yeah, out. it's heat soaking through the car, and it would, just, degrees. it would just stop running. Yeah. So, kind of weird stuff that you don't think about yeah. that can still happen. Yeah. Yeah. So, not all these problems went away. See, carburetors are superior. So interesting. But. So, Rochester Products Division, generally General Motors stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, the other big names: Edelbrock, mm-hmm. Holly, Hitachi, Holly, Makuni. Original equipment on Mitsubishi cars. Yep. Solex. Uh, Carter was big for Chrysler's. Chrysler. Car- Ford's yeah, GM, some GMs. AMC, Studebaker. Uh, I think, of course, you have Bendix, Stromberg. Weber, of course. Autolite, Ford stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Never heard of those. Earlier yeah. stuff. Solex. Weber's the big one, right? Did we say Weber? Weber's the big aftermarket one. Yeah. yeah. They do um, a lot of factory stuff, too, for European cars. Neat. Was yeah. the big manufacturers? It's funny. It's not one of those things that manufacturers got into doing themselves. Yeah, like they farmed it out to other companies because it was a lot of development probably needed to make them work properly. That they didn't want to spend doing 
Yeah, why, yeah why reinvent the wheel? They, right. you know, a lot of companies did that. They would, you know, like the smaller companies like Studebaker or whatever, they'd buy the starter motors and the generators from Delco or whoever. They right. probably put out a bid, and whoever was the lowest bidder, right? They would get the stuff. Well, I, I I can remember, again, back in the '80s, my father had a Jeep, and it was an '87, so it was an AMC owned mm-hmm. Jeep at the time. I remember it had like a GM steering column and a GM heater control unit, but it had a Ford right. know, ignition and whatever it had. It was. A Chrysler computer, and there was just so many things from so many different vehicles to make that one car run. Yeah. Just they bought the supplies from the OEM supply OEMs, the same suppliers as the OEM, but they just wound up being right. So let's talk about uh, rebuilding a carburetor. What what happens then? So you take the carburetor off, and obviously you empty it out, you take it apart, and because they start leaking air or fuel or both. Well, yeah, and they yeah. get they get gummed, gummed up, up and, and, or the let's say the needle and seat starts leaking, and you know it starts flooding out, or a lot of sometimes the float will get porous, it'll get a hole in it, and it'll drop. So now you've got this rush of gas coming in the carburetor all the time. Mm-hmm. So basically, you know, you take the carburetor apart and, you know, strip it down, and they have carburetor cleaner. You dip it in this chemical, let it soak, and you clean it out and get all the gunk and stuff out of the jets, especially with the new gasoline today, the ethanol. In the ga- in the gas, and yeah, it let, sits it gums up. Sits real it bad. gums yeah. up, you know, the all the antique cars, and they sit over the winter or whatever. So then you, which uh, is why you should put stable in your car when you store it for any length yeah, of time. Yeah, so you take it all apart, clean it all up, then you get a rebuild kit, which gives you the gaskets, a new accelerator pump, a new power valve. I remember doing these, a new needle and seat. <clears throat> Excuse me, and then you uh, adjust the float. You make sure the float levels, you know, okay. You test the float, you drop it in some water and make sure it floats. Make sure it rises, yeah. Yeah, or you shake it. If you shook it and you hear stuff inside of it, it's junk. You know, the old brass floats, um, they were put together with solder, and a lot of guys, you know, would empty them out and they'd re-solder them. You know, they'd be fine. But then they had these composite floats, um, or, you know, for some reason they they uh, go bad, so you have to replace that. And then you put it all back together, put it back on the car, and you know tune it, you know tune the jets, the idle jets, and all that, and make it work, you know. So that's it's kind of a big scary thing. It's not really that big and scary, as long as you methodically take it apart, methodically put it back together. Right. Just pay attention. You know, yeah. Take pictures and yeah, and do it all the same day. Don't take it apart and let it sit for a week. Well, this go is like again. where like a tune-up probably comes from, where you actually had to like tune up a car, like yeah. Plugs and wires and, like, checking the carb settings actually made a big difference. Well, a tune-up used to be a lot more than just the engine. Yeah. You had greasable fittings, and you had all kinds of stuff you had to do every so many miles. Well, a tune-up would be uh, changing the points, the ignition points. Condenser. A condenser, and uh, you adjust, you have to adjust the gap, and then uh, you do the cap and the rotor, sometimes the wires, definitely the spark plugs. Mm -hmm. And then you check your timing. Well, you first first you have to check uh, adjust the points. The you have to have the correct gap, and then you set the timing. Check the timing um, because as the points wear, it will affect the timing. Um, you know the dwell. The dwell, right? And then you would adjust the carburetor last. You know, and you always want to. I always used to put the air filter back on when I would adjust the carburetor because it would just. Just be enough restriction of the air coming in the carburetor to, to make a little difference 
and then you uh, put the the uh, transmission in, in drive if you have an automatic you want to make sure it's not I don't too low it stalls where out. it's going to stall yeah. or too high where it's going to you know like take, lurch lur- you know take the car apart or I mean take the car you know forward hmm. or you know you know bang in the gear and all that so you want to make sure you get the idle right and you know different things so yeah I learned early on about points yeah <laughs> Because with my Camaro, I remember changing them on the side of North Street in Salem because the car just stopped running one day. <laughs> it was the points to just worn to a point that didn't work anymore. What, yeah. um, so when we were talking about yesterday at Cars and Coffee, a car dieseled? Yeah. Yes. Is that from the it, carb, like, running on? Yeah. Yes. There was nothing to shut the gas off when you turn the ignition off while well, you shut the spark off. But if you had a, a mechanical little... Mechanical fuel pump. If you had a little... Uh, hot spot in a cylinder like a piece of carbon you know or or if the engine was idling too high when you shut it off it would actually what we call diesel it would run on you know it ran on compression right yeah. well it would it would it's still sucking the gas and yeah. there's nothing to shut the gas off today with the new cars you're shut you're doing two things well you're you're shutting the electric fuel pump off and you're shutting the injectors off so there's no fuel going in the right. engine these older cars the mechanical yeah. fuel pump is actually run by Usually the camshaft. Right. So if the camshaft's spinning, it's pumping fuel. Right. Yeah. And then the engine's so it's pulling air. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If the throttle valves open a little bit yeah. enough to get air, it'll it'll literally run on and like o- like a diesel. And honestly, yeah. I've never most of my <laughs> embarrassingly enough, most of my cars will do this from time to time. I I heard one the other day. I think it was one of the old cars we were tinkering with the other day, and I said, "Oh boy, that brings back some memories." Yeah. So what what I what we used to do is leave it in drive. Right. So it would. If a automatic transmission, mm-hmm. it would put a load on the engine, and then it would kill it, right? It would slow, or, it, would slow it down enough to stop Or if you had a standard transmission, you put it in gear, and you let the clutch out, boom, and you stall it. Which is generally what I do. Yeah. So, because the- you don't want it running on like that. It's it's really, it's 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 raising hell with the timing chain. It's bouncing that around. Yep. And, you know, really going crazy. Yeah, I've, but, I've gotten to the point where usually with an old car, I will do one of those two things out of habit. Whether it's going to diesel or not, I'll just, I'll kill it with the clutch or I'll kill it with the transmission just because I don't want to deal with it. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. It's not just to let it do that. And then you get that really bad smell afterwards after it did that. I don't know. I never let one go long enough to smell any difference. Yeah. It's, it's. Usually I just kill it quick. You can notice it. <laughs> huh. You know. But. Um, yeah. Because my Camaro will do it from time to time if it's really hot. Mm-hmm. Um, the Colt will do it after, if I shut the Colt off after like a long highway run with the temperature's a little warmer. Yep. It'll definitely diesel. Now, in the seventies, they actually had a little solenoid valve, anti-dieseling valve. Yeah, when yep. you when you start the engine up, this little plunger would come out and, and raise the idle up to to the normal idle, yep. and then you drive around all day long, you know, no problem. And when you turn the key off, that solenoid would pop back in, yep. and it would drop the idle down to the minimum, like maybe four hundred RPM, and it would it wouldn't be enough to to um, you know, make the engine diesel, and that was their way of correcting that, getting around it. Yeah, so hmm. there was all kinds of issues with carburetors and yeah. Well, and I, stuff. I I remember being in high school, and in high school I had a 1985 Cutlass that had a two-barrel carburetor, and I remember some winter mornings have to pop the hood, take off the air cleaner, jam a screwdriver down the carburetor, open up the joke, I close the joke, and mm. you know, it was the only way to make it work. Hmm. Yeah. Just because it was old, and I didn't know much about it at the time, but I knew that sticking a screwdriver in it would make it start. All right. <laughs> I have a question for you. Trivia. For who? Both of you. Okay. I don't know if you... Maybe you didn't read the notes, but I play along. Read, I haven't read all the notes yet. 
What was the last car to have a carb in the U.S.? Commercial vehicle or car? Car. Okay. One of them was the uh, 1991 Jeep Wagoneer or something. Yeah. Is it a, a car? Is it a car, though? I think SUVs went later. Wow. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's a small SUV. That's pretty much, pretty late for yeah. that. Okay. But what about I know my 88 car? Raider had a carb. What about a car, though? Well, it was more like a holdover car. It was probably an American car. Okay. GM. Something GM. Like Caprice? Because the Caprice Classic went to like 92. Nope. I had an 80 Citation, which had a carburetor. That was 80, though. That's way early on. Well, uh, 82-ish they started coming out with, I think. Yeah, but like my 83 Sapporo has fuel injection. My 85 Cutlass had fuel I mean, my 83 Sapporo has carburetor fuel injection. Excuse me. And my 85 Cutlass had a carburetor. Now it's 85. I know the Cutlass has had them until at least 87, yeah. 88. Well, different manufacturers came out with their... And, you know, fuel injection. And, and they usually was probably like a lost leader car that kept the car longer than the, yeah. you yeah. know, high end. I mean, you're right. Vehicle. It's American. Okay. Just not a GM product. No. Uh, is it a cake? I want a cake. Oh, then. I know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> the Crown Vic. Yeah. Police car. Yep. Oh, okay. 1991. I, I cheated. I read that earlier. <laughs> oh, <laughs> man. Not on your notes, on, on the other notes I had. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, that's kind of like Ford's Caprice. So. Yeah, basically. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I figured it'd be a Caprice, or maybe it, my my logic for the Caprice was the fact that it it went to like ninety two. Yeah. As a fleet car mm-hmm. for taxi service, police service, you know, detective service, whatever. But I think at that point they had had the they got LT ones or Caprices. Maybe, well, they're using maybe. throttle body. Yeah, they definitely use throttle bodies. I know. Yeah, that. they're using throttle. But body. I I didn't know if the whole line did. Again, yeah. I figured that. You know, the normal civilian model mm-hmm. would have fuel injection. Probably very similar fuel injection to what, what your Blazer has, you know, TBI. Yeah. Um, but maybe there was a cheaper version that was meant for yeah. taxi service that had a carburetor. How about the last truck? A commercial truck or, like, normal Like, like a light truck. truck. Was oh. it the GP said earlier? No, even later than that. Oh. Makes Mitsubishi Money Max, like, 94? Nope. Oh, Mazda? Not a Mazda. Was that a Japanese mini truck? Japanese mini truck. And it wasn't a Mazda or a Mitsubishi? Nope. Well, that leaves Nissan, which wouldn't have had it because those are K24s. So probably a Zuzu Pup? Yeah, 94 Zuzu, like a base model. Yeah. Came with a two-barrel carburetor. Yep. Wow. All the way till 94. Yep. I can. Uh, it just doesn't seem too out of the norm because I remember Jeeps had carburetors up until the early 90s. Mm-hmm. And Mm-hmm. My Raider had a carburetor in 88. Yeah. I know the Mitsubishi Mighty Max and then had a carburetor pretty late. For a long time, when the switchover was happening, it was easier to put a throttle body. Because right, you could keep... bolts in place of a carburetor. Yeah, you yeah. could keep the, the right. architecture of the engine the same. Well, that's why I talk about, like, your Blazer has the TBI on it, which it basically looks like an electronic carb. Yeah. Which, funny enough, now, Holly makes a system called the... Yes. I forget the name of the Holly system. Yeah. But basically, it's a fuel injection setup that bolts to the car. Yeah. It, it you uses the stock intake manifold. It looks like a carburetor. Yeah, and then you weld in an O2, and it's... But it's a fuel injection. Yeah. yeah. It's pretty cool. It's right? really cool. Yeah. Yeah. It's very neat. Um, I wish they made a two-barrel version of it for, like, an older four-cylinder car. They do. I think they do. Do they now? Yeah. Because I was looking at it for the Pontiac. Okay. But it's a lot of work. You got you got to run a No, it's a lot of work. Back, yeah, it's not back to the gas tank. I it's, mean, it's It's not a lot of well, work, but it's a lot, a lot of work. Of, let's let's put it this way. It's it's money um and you know, you want to say, well, how often do I use the car, you know? I mean, yeah. for me, you know, I don't you know, it's for I me, can't justify for that. For me, for something like my Blue Colt that I use all the time, 
yeah. think it'd be neat to have yeah. a modern style of fuel injection, especially where I'm moving to a place that has a lot of mountainous areas. Like I'll be driving in the mountains a yeah. lot. Yeah. So running a car that adjusts for altitude on its own would be pretty nice. Yeah. yeah. So. Well, if we want to talk about fuel injection another time, you know, we can talk, you know, how that all started oh, out. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We we'll, 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 we'll definitely know, have this happening. You know, like we started out with the, uh, the Rochester, well, Rochester and the, the Hillborn. And there was a, a Bendix. I think Chrysler was using the, the Bendix fuel injection back then. But, again, you know, they, they were using vacuum tubes and stuff like that to – you know run the thing and you know that just didn't work out but you know it started out with the throttle bodies well i won't i'll stop there yeah <laughs> yeah we go all the way down but yeah i'd say this is a look into a four-hour episode of yeah off topic. no yeah. i think we covered pretty much everything because we had a couple people ask us to cover stuff like this so yeah. i thought it'd be fun to have my dad on because he knows a lot about carbs another neat thing which we'll have to take pictures of in the future speaking of fuel injection that looks like carbs is yep. a friend of the podcast with his mark ii escort yes just switched over yeah. from dual side drafts to dual uh, sorry individual throttle bodies that look like dual side drafts mm-hmm. they're these gen v uh fuel injection units that come from england yeah um, and they mimic a you know a weber side draft yeah but it's all modern technology inside yeah super cool was, stuff yeah i was giving him the third degree about those i said well does it have the he said yeah yeah it's all it's it's it sounds like a really neat setup. It's I can't a really wait neat to see setup. it. Yeah. yeah, you know, it's it's amazing. It's gonna he's gonna really enjoy it too. It's gonna really make that that car perform, you know. But I, I would suggest too if if you know you guys want to learn more about carburetors, you know, there's a lot of stuff on YouTube. You know, just be careful what you watch because some of it's you know a little iffy. But right. you know, and you know, you'll see. Don't rev up your engines. Yeah. Find somebody else to listen to. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a lot of good stuff there, and. uh I was watching a few this afternoon. It refreshed my memory, but you know you can learn a lot on that stuff too. And uh, we'll have also if you want to learn a lot more, Brad has many cars you can wrench on. Yeah, I'll need a little bit of help. But we'll be able to take a picture of a Quadrajet in a, in a '75 Cadillac Eldorado. That's a Quadrajet too. That, that, yes. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And we're gonna take we'll take pictures of that and post them and talk about that a little I bit. I guess we will. And, yeah. You know, your your uh, <laughs> my Camaro. Yeah, Camaro has the, the same um, carburetor. That's that's a pretty good carburetor. Well, we used to call it the quadra bog. Quadra bog, yep. Because that's you know, a flat you'd, spot. You'd step on it and go. It was uh, like the car- carburetor equivalent of turbo lag. Yeah, well, exactly. you had, to, yeah, wait, you had yeah. to wait a second. Well, it does yeah. kind of take a second for the air to kind of yeah. go in. Oh, 100 percent. And the fuel to go well, through the plenum. And you can air. hear it. It's a really cool like changeover noise. It kind of like like uh, modern Honda has that VTEC changeover. These carburetors had like that quadrajet changeover, like. It went from like a normal sounding V8 and opened up those two the two yeah, secondaries, the secondaries like, and it, you can hear it like the air rushes in stronger. It sounds yeah. Like yeah cool. Again, I I drove our friend's car when he had the he had a Firebird four speed, yeah, 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 long yep. tubes and a big four barrel Harley, and the thing sounded crazy when he right. stepped on it. Yeah, I had a Camaro with the Quadrajet, and I would we would flip the uh, air cleaner cover over so you'd have the whole you know more of it exposed. Uh, you know, it was still filtering the air. But you could hear it made more, more noise. Yeah, you oh. made more noise. Oh yeah, it was a seventies cold air intake. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you know the problem with that carburetor was the primaries are so small, when it flips over to the to the secondary, it actually it, it's it actually huge, drowns it. Yeah, it's a huge jump. It's yep. like you know making a big 
it's like you know going down a set of yeah, stairs. Almost, and it almost floods it when it, when it oh. up. Yeah, it's like you know. Well, it's, it's, it's funny because when when it's not you're, a smooth transition, and when you're in the in the in bicycle car anyway, when you're foot to the floor, all you know, all uh, the whole car open, you yeah. can pretty much watch the gas needle. <laughs> well, that's go like go down. Well, that's the one thing I learned when I was setting up the Galant with the ECM link is uh, when you're adjusting for throttle tip-in, mm-hmm. like having good throttle tip-in is more important than a lot makes of makes the yeah. car drive so much better. Yeah. yeah. When you when you step on it and it gradually goes in and it doesn't just like bog because it dumps yep. too much fuel at once. Right. It definitely makes a huge difference. Well, I remember I had that problem with my, going back to my 85 Cutlass, I couldn't hit the fuel, I couldn't hit the gas hard because the car would die. Couldn't hit the air pedal, man. I couldn't hit the air pedal hard because what would happen is that accelerator pump was broken. Yeah. <laughs> so it would, uh, the diaphragm was weak, so it would open too fast, and it would just dump so much fuel in there. Yeah, blow out the spark. That the car <laughs> would just sputter and fall on its face. Yeah. So. Yeah, there's the, if you have a bad accelerator pump, that'll do that, but, and also there's what they, there's uh, jets that, you know, when you transition from idle to your uh, main circuit, and if those are clogged, so those are two things that'll cause that. Yep. So. Neat. All right, cool. Well, thanks for coming by. All right. We'll have you on for it. some other technical stuff. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook, Out Off Topic Podcast, Out Off Topic at Instagram. Follow me on Instagram, Race and Anger. Brad, where can they follow you? TSISS350. All right. And actually, by the time this comes out, um, there'll be new stuff going back on the old Vine page as well. Cool. So Vintage Imports of New England or VintageImportsNE.com. All right. As always, keep your cars analog and aim for the roses.